You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Good morning, everybody. Great to see everybody here today. And wow, there's a lot of you here today. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> Somebody asked me once, they said, do you always get nervous when you speak? I said, yeah, every time. They said, we thought you'd be used to it by now. I said, the day that I'm not nervous is probably the day I need to make a change. Because then that tells me I don't understand the gravity of what I do. So just to let you know, I'm nervous. But anyway, it is good to see everybody today. So today we're continuing on in a series called Living Out a Genuine Faith in a Fallen World. And I want to kind of do a, a scenario today uh, before we read the scripture. If, if there was going to be a large crowd um, that was gathering outside, thousands of people, and we were planning for this major event, this is a hypothetical situation, but that would be awesome if it became a reality. But anyway, thousands of people are going to show up, and we're planning this big event for our community. And as we're moving forward, and I tell you this topic, I say, when people show up, I'm going to preach on prayer. Most of you would go, I know that's a good biblical topic, I just don't know if you understand your audience that's showing up. And today we're actually going to be looking at one of the segments that Jesus preached when thousands of people showed up. And we see the variety of topics in the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus taught on prayer. Some people would say, wow, did he ever misread his crowd in why they were there? I mean, of all the things he should have been talking about, I mean, you got Roman occupation, you got all this stuff, and Jesus talks on prayer. Did he kind of miss his crowd a little bit? And I tell you, no, he didn't. He actually, there's some background here that might help us. And so would everybody stand for the reading of the word today? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. It's most commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but there are a couple verses before it, and there are a couple verses that come after it that are absolutely critical to understanding the overall uh, text as it relates to the Lord's Prayer. So let's begin and read together. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that as the Word is taught, that you do touch our heart, mind, and spirit. You want us to know, but you also want us influenced. You also want us in conformity to what Christ is. And so I pray that as the message is preached, that we all become aware of the thresholds in our life that need to be moved to become more like Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So as we're continuing on in this series, living out a genuine faith in a fallen world, this was the challenge that the uh, uh, people of Israel were having. They were trying to live a faith in a world that was absolutely falling apart. The Roman army has come in. It is now, they're occupying and now there's religious division everywhere. I, if you didn't have a chance, I would encourage you to go back a couple weeks ago and listen to the first message where I lay out the background of this. All the division, all the strife, the people of Israel, they, they had no idea. The simplicity of like, how do I worship God was all complicated because there was such divisiveness. And so now we're looking at this very issue of prayer because there's a reason Jesus spoke on it, because it was so misunderstood. And people just wanted to know how to talk to God. You see, in a fallen world like the Roman world, it would have been easy to weaponize prayer for personal reasons. I know that there's the concept that we use, we call it spiritual warfare, I get that. But I'm talking about how we personalize it. We, if we're not careful, in a fallen world, we can weaponize our prayer. Okay, let's use an example. If somebody has ever upset you or angered you and you decided to tell God about it, you might have weaponized your prayer. Instead of saying, oh God, reach them, oh God, help them, you might have prayed, sick them. <laughs> Go get them. God, I hope you don't let this pass. You're the great judge. You're the awesome God. Lower the boom. Make him, you know, and, you know, I, that's weaponizing prayer. It's, that's not what prayer is to be used for. But like I said, in a fallen world, sometimes the frustrations of life can get to us, and we take prayer in a direction that, like, that's not even what prayer is designed for. Prayer is not a tool for you to get revenge on other people, Okay. It, hey, we're supposed to love our enemies. It says to pray for our enemies. Many of you are too busy praying against them. We pray against evil forces, but we pray for people. Yeah, and sometimes people can get that mixed up. And so in Jesus' day, people were confused. They didn't even know how to pray. Now, that may seem a little ironic, but I'm going to go back and share a little bit more about the background of why Jesus was even saying what he was saying but it seems so ironic. People didn't even know how to pray because what had happened was this. Prayer had been politicized. You had the, the Pharisees. You had the Sadducees. You had the Zealots. You had the, Essene, the, uh, the, uh, the Essenes. And you had a bunch of other uh, subgroups even in, in the, within those groups. And everybody, there was no majority. And the simple thing was, how do I talk to God? Man, you'd get, you'd, you'd get a road map all over the place. And so here are the masses just going, how am I supposed to talk to God when nobody can even tell me how I'm supposed to be? You've got to realize, nobody has a copy of the Bible. 
You're really dependent upon religious leaders who have the very few scrolls of God's word to read it and tell you. And so they were very, they were very attentive to religious leaders and their teachings. And the, and the teachings were all over the map and the people are going, how did, how did this happen? It's not like you could go home and check what you were told with God's word. You didn't have a copy. So does everybody understand? So this is the confusion that people are having. And so you can probably already begin to see why Jesus said some of the things that he did before the prayer, some of the teachings that we just read today, and some of the things that he even said afterwards. But we're going to unpack this in a way. And here's the thing, I'm going to tell you, this is a real challenge for me. Because you can make the Lord's Prayer into a six-week sermon series. And here I am, I'm going to just, I'm going to just going to mash it down and just try to give you the basics. But the point being is this, Jesus addressed this topic rather quickly and the people got it. Now granted, we don't have their background, so we miss some of the insights that they would have picked up. So I need to unpack it a little bit. But my idea is this, I don't want to turn this into a six week series on how to pray. It needs to be very simple and very basic so that we all have the ability, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, is there something that I could take away today and go, so that's how I talk to God? And my answer is yes. I don't want to fall into the trap that it's a six-week seminar. Then I'm falling into the trap of what some of the other religious leaders were doing. I'm not saying there's not a time when you shouldn't be in a seminar and learn more extensively. But for today's purposes, I just want everybody to be able to walk out of here and go, I learned how to talk to God. And I learned to talk to God in a way that God wants me to talk to him. And everybody said amen. amen. So here's, let me just give you something really simple. Prayer is really two things. Prayer is, who am I praying to? And whose agenda do I pray? That's not only within the Christian faith, that's in any religion of the world. Who am I praying to? And, what, who's, the, and who's setting the agenda for what I say and what I'm praying? What, th that's really all I'm going to answer today. Now you say, well, I, that's so simple. I know that. For us, it's really simple. We all know that we pray to God our Father. But the other part is, we need to know what God wants to hear from us. That's what, listen to me, this is why uh, there's this, this concept in our society, we say learn people's love language, okay? Like my wife, what's her love language? It's me doing things for her and buying things for her. <laughs> I mean, I can say I love you and she goes, I love you too, baby, and, you know, and, and then that's it. But if I do something for her or I buy her something and it's like, oh, baby, I love you. It's a whole different, you know, that's her love language, right? Okay. And you have your love language, right? And it's the same way. Nobody ever thinks, what's God's love language? How does God want to be spoken to? Well, we never think of that. And my, and my thing is, I don't want to make it so hard and so complicated. Yes, I could, I could go literally from Genesis to Revelation on the concept of prayer. Yes. But my goal today is just to say, listen, what about these folks that we read about? They just need somebody to give them a straight up answer. I want to talk to God. How do I do that? 
I'm out here in the middle of a field, and I'm listening to this guy who says he's Jesus, God's son. I don't have a copy of the Bible. I'm really dependent upon what a religious leader tells me. Can you tell me how to talk to God? And Jesus said, yes, I can. Because I talk to him myself. And how about I tell you how I talk to him? And Jesus lays it. Now, granted, this is a summary teaching. We don't have everything, because it says that Jesus taught all day. You can read the Sermon on the Mount in about 12 minutes. So obviously we don't have everything that Jesus ever said. We have, the, we have the cliff notes. We have the highlights. And I'm pretty sure that Jesus would have expanded on this prayer teaching. But we have the highlights of what he said. So let's begin. I'm just going to ask you to follow. Usually I have you read the points with me. Today I'm just going to ask you to follow along. The first thing is this. Jesus defines what hypocritical prayer is. Because that's what the people were sucked into. That's, what was be, that's where they were and they were trying to decide... This religious leader here, this religious leader here, they all differ in opinion. How do I know? And Jesus says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. How many know that? I'll win you a lot of friends. <laughs> For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. You can sort of pick up what's going on here, but let me give you the background of what is going on. What had happened here is this, over the decades and centuries, tradition had corrupted and perverted the issue of prayer. In other words, it just kept changing ever so slightly. One generation adds this tradition, one other one adds another, another. And by the time this has come up where it is now, tradition is ruling the concept of prayer, not the scriptures. That's what's happened. And so the people are confused. And so let me, let me show you. And by the way, tradition has a way of utilizing the Scripture for its own purposes. And notice tradition uses the Scripture instead of letting Scripture be the tool exclusively. Tradition will take Scripture but morph it to make it work for the tradition. And this is what was happening. So I'm going to give you a little background in the Jewish culture and their world. There was a thing that, that uh, they called the Shema. And what this was, was a selected phrasings from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 21, and Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. They didn't say every one, every one of those verses, they borrowed phrases from those scriptures, okay? And they would repeat these in the morning and the evening. This was crucial to them. This was called the gateway. In other words, this is the bare minimum that was expected of you. But here's the thing. You prayed tomorrow morning what you prayed this morning, and you pray, whatever you prayed tonight, you were going to pray tomorrow. It was the same prayer over and over and over every morning. From morning, and then another one in the evening. Now, if you really got discipled, and you wanted to mature, and you wanted to grow, there was another group of prayers called the Shimona Erse, meaning the 18. Yes, 18 prayers. This is for those who want to have a graduate degree in prayer. Hey, you're moving from the basic stuff, and now you really, you know, you want to, you want to be doctor prayer. Okay? This is graduating into these really in-depth prayers. And they would compile these, again, phraseologies. But here's what would happen. So now, with this, you would 
have to say these prayers at 9 a.m., and then you would have to say them again at 12 p.m., and then you would have to say them again at 3 p.m. And where you were was irrelevant. The point was, at those designated times, you were to drop to your knees and pray, no matter where you were. And what had happened by this time, in order to elevate their spirituality in the eyes of other people, people started making sure that they were in certain locations at those times just to make sure that other people were impressed with how devout they were. It was no longer, uh, well, this is where I'm at at 9 o'clock. It would be, ooh, it's almost 9 o'clock. I need to go get my spot on the market square. At noon, oh, I'd love to have lunch, but at noon, I'm making sure that I'm on such and such a street because I'm going to be praying, and it's, you know, I want people to see that I pray. After all, I'm Dr. Prayer. And this, so now it has become a show and tell. It wasn't enough that they were going to pray. They made sure that when those times struck that they were in the eyes of, uh, they were within earshot and eyesight of a lot of people because it was a way to impress people with their spirituality. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the Jewish people are like, hey, I, I do a job and it, it's just impractical for me to drop to my knees at nine. I mean, I might have something going on that, prevents me from actually stopping i may not i mean i want to but you're they had so legalized this thing and they had all kinds of theological reasons why 9 a.m was the holy moment and 12 p.m was the holy moment and 3 p.m was the holy moment and it just wasn't enough you needed to pray those prayers and so what happens is this you're going to pray today you're going to what you pray today you're going to pray tomorrow you're going to pray the next day, you're going to pray the next day, and you're going to pray. And you can see it just, it has turned into a religious, traditional nightmare. Because in the eyes of people was this. If this works, why are the Romans here? If this all works, why is this occupying army here? Why isn't God helping? And why are things so bad? And why do we see all these atrocities? It doesn't look like to me this prayer stuff's working. And your idea is just keep going. How, how long does it take for God to answer here? Because it doesn't look like he's answering. And here comes Jesus, and he starts, basically, he's talking about the elephant in the room that nobody wants to touch. Imagine Jesus doing that, huh? So, he then goes to the next verse. In prayer, he says, God is the, you guys are praying with people as your audience. And he's saying, no, the audience isn't other people, it's God. God is your audience. And he says something which today is still distorted by many people. We're going to get to that here and explain what this really is talking about. Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's basically saying... I know God's not answering, and I can tell you why. Because you're not praying to him. You're praying for an audience. And he says, if you want God to answer, let me tell you how that's done. And so many people read this and they go, well, I have to have a designated space with a door, and i got to close it, and I can't tell people I'm praying. And so you come to a church service, and you look at this, and you go, well, it doesn't sound like we ought to be praying in a church service. We need to have a bunch of cubicles for people to go pray in. <laughs> 
Well, what's going on here? What Jesus is saying is this. You need to find a spot where he's the audience. Notice, he actually answers two things. He says, when you pray. So he's, he's saying, no limits on when you pray. You don't have to wait to 9 a.m. You don't have to wait to 12. You don't have to wait to 3. You don't have to wait to evening. You can talk to God anytime you want. Trust me, the people love that part. Wow, I don't have to schedule God. God's like on call. He's on speed dial whenever I want him. I can speak to him whenever I'm ready. He's ready. Okay, when I pray. And then he says this. Close the door and pray to your father. He says you need to do this in a way that puts your focus on God. Do this in a way that whatever's in the room is not distracting you. Because I'll tell you this. We pray differently when there's other people in the room, we pray differently when there's other activity in the room. But when we know that we're in the room by ourselves with God, there's a lot more transparency. I mean, let's face it. We don't all stand in service, and, you know, and I, I, this is something that we incorporate here about passionate core prayer where we all pray out loud. You notice we never say, in the next 30 seconds, would everybody confess your sins out loud? How many know we're going to go, yeah, well, let me, get, let me back away from people. Because there's sometimes I just don't want them to hear. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 so already we've lost focus. We're more conscious about the people in the room than we are with God, right? And God says, listen, you got to have a way, you got to have a place, you have to have the means to have a transparent conversation with me, and it's just you and me. Now, I can give you some practical steps on this, okay? So let me, let, me, let me share with you how I do this, okay? And I'm talking about throughout, but one of the, one of the things that I always do every morning, I've said this many times, one of, I pray for a variety of things, but in the morning, I always take my calendar, and I look to see what, what has, who am I meeting that day, and what are my tasks? I assign myself some time slots to get certain tasks done, okay? And I pray over those. I pray over the appointment that I have with somebody, Sometimes I know what the appointment is about. Sometimes I don't, but I just pray. I said, you know, bless the conversation. Let it be productive. Let it, let it advance your activity in both of our lives, whatever, whatever we're going to be discussing. And then I also pray for those tasks so that, I, that, you know, help me to do them well, help them to do them right. Throughout the day, I try to make it a goal of showing up a few minutes early to a point. I don't always succeed. But my goal is to always be a little bit early. And when I do, I don't get out of my vehicle right away. I'm there, I stay in my vehicle, and I pray for that appointment that I'm about to walk into. Or the task. Again, I will pray. It's one of my ways. That's, that's my room. I can sit in a parking lot and pray for somebody or something I'm about to do within the next few minutes. I can say a 30-second, 45 seconds, a 60-second prayer in my vehicle, and I don't have to worry about, you know, nobody's going to hear what I'm saying. It's just me in my vehicle praying about what's about to come. And I'm not praying because I think something negative is going to come. I'm just praying because it needs to be a lifestyle. Okay? So that's what Jesus is talking about. Have a way. Some of you where you work, you have offices, even if you have a cubicle, you're going into an appointment, you're about to go into a team meeting. Many of you have the ability, you can just sit as you're at a desk, you can just fold your hands, put your head on your, your hands, and 30 seconds go, hey God, I'm about to go into a team meeting. Help me to be productive. 
Help me to be insightful. Help my presence to be an asset in the room. Amen. See, the ability to block everything out and have that, quote, room where it's you and Jesus, if only for a few seconds. Help. I tell you what, if you're in law enforcement, man, riding in around, because I so appreciate what you all do, I'd be praying 24-7 if I was in that car. I've done a ride along or two. And I was praying. Officer didn't hear me, but boy, was I sitting there going, oh, Jesus. You know, and I, and I prayed, oh, you know, for the people that he had to pull over. Jesus, shame on that person. Please, God, don't let him be from the bridge. <laughs> I pray, God, I don't know them. (laughs) My son, he's a highway patrol, but out in Missouri, and he happens to live in the same town where my sister and her family does, and my mom lives there, and I gave him a hypothetical one time. I said, hey, what are you going to do one day if you pull it over and it's your grandma, or you pull it over and it's it's your aunt? What are you going to do? And without skipping a beat, he goes, call for backup. I have no idea how we got there. Here we go. Back to the sermon. Here we go. Number three. He then goes on to this thing about repetitious prayer is meaningless. This was a shot across the bow because this was happening a lot. By the fact that they took these phrases from Scripture and just said, you need to say them at 9, you need to say them at noon, you need to say them at 3, 3 p.m., and then you got to do it again tomorrow, and you got to do it the next day. In fact, you're going to be doing that the rest of your life. And at some point, you know, even though they're, they're scriptural phrases, you can, look what he calls it. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. That babbling is idle, thoughtless chatter. If you're not careful, you can say things and you don't even know you're saying them. It is so just rhetorical. It's, it's, there's no meaning. Your heart's not in it. There's no thought process. There's no development of it. It's just, it's just rhetorical things that you're reciting over and over. And let me just say, I know there are a number of religious traditions, Christian and non-Christian today, who employ these types of things. Listen to me. We can have disagreements, but please hear me. I am not out here to disrespect or dishonor them. We can have disagreements and still maintain respect and honor for one another. So Pastor Greg is not getting on a dishonor and a disrespect bandwagon because of some people who see this differently. I'm I'm just communicating here what Jesus was saying. And yeah, we have some traditions in our world that have adopted these, these random things that you repetitively, and somehow if you save them more, you earn more credit with God. And I'm just saying, Jesus said that is not true. Reciting these phrases over and over gets you no merit. In fact, if you'll do a little uh, historical study on some of these traditions that use these phraseologies you will find in Christian history, one of the challenges we have in the Christian faith is, is from sometimes we fall in love with other methodologies of other religions and so we decide to adopt methodology that necessarily isn't Christian. 
And you go, well, why'd you do it? Oh, I liked it. Well, I mean, just because you liked it didn't mean you have to adopt it. I know, but I liked it. Okay, that's good theology. I'm serious. That's what happened. It's just like, I like it, so we're going to do it. But it's not biblical. I know, but I like it. Okay, well, all right, but we have to know that's what happens from generation to generation sometimes. People just love something that they see in another religion or another faith, and they just parachute it in with no biblical basis whatsoever. Now, we have an example of this mindless babbling uh, of, 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 uh, of the pagans that Jesus was saying they were pagans. We have this in Ephesians. Ephesians 19, verse 34, Paul is there and he's uh, having effective ministry. Now, you've got to know, Ephesus was built on the god of Artemis. That's the city business, man. I mean, the, the hotels, the restaurants, the, the, the gift shops, the massive temple that they built, people traveling to come there to do their worship thing. I mean, the town runs on the religion of Artemis. Now you have people getting saved, and some of them are very key people in the city, and they start to see the business of the town is going to get threatened. So they have a riot, and it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 34, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great of Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours of that. How's that for deep intellectual thinking for you? Let's say a phrase for two hours. You know what you've proven after two hours? Nothing that you had proven before you started, nothing. All it is is afraid. But in their mind, this had merit. We did that for two hours. Do you know how powerful Artemis is because we chanted for two hours? He's just as powerless as he was when you started. But in people's minds, it was the two hours of doing that that supposedly gave this great power. No, it was two hours of mindless babble and now you're worn out. That's what you have. It makes no, and if we're not careful in our faith, we can fall into these traps. So then we move on to this, and Jesus says, how about if I tell you what genuine prayer is? It has pure motives. And he says this, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is interesting. God already knows before I pray why I'm coming. How, let, me, let me ask you this. How many parents, grandparents do we have? As your kid is making a request, you have a prophetic moment that there is more to the story than what you're hearing on that spot. Can I see who has the gift of prophecy as a parent? And you're like, this is a weird request, very untimely, I suspect that there is mischievous about. <laughs> and so you, you know, like me, I'll say, have you asked your dad or your mom this question yet? And then they pause, which is a dead giveaway. <laughs> because the pause is as good as, that means they did, right? And, yeah, and I said, what are they? Well, they said I couldn't. And I said, so now you're coming to Papa G to see if you can get a different answer. Yes. Why would you do that? Because we're in your house. 
that is true. <laughs> but I am not going to override your parents. See, I knew something was up. I suspected. I know them well enough that I can even tell by the question whether it's pure or something's about, you know? And you just know, ask more questions. This is not as pure as you think it is. And you do. And it's the same way God says, you know, you think that your praying gets my attention about what concerns you. God says, I already know it. I, I already know why you're... We get this idea that I'm outside the room and God only knows what I bring into the room. And God's like, you know I was outside the room too, right? <laughs> like, I know everything and now I'm in here with you. So you say, well, then why do we pray? Because the purpose of prayer is not to persuade God. It's to be relationally sincere and purposeful. It's real. Let me tell you something. Prayer is really God checking our integrity. Are you going to talk to me about what the real issue is? Or are you going to try to play cat and mouse with this? I already know. I just want to see if your prayer lines up with what I already know. And it's no different than a parent asking a kid, your story's not lining up with what I already know. I got to ask you more questions. What's going on here? It's, what you said is true, but there's more to it, and you, you, need to, you need to come clean as a kid and tell me everything so that I can make the best decision here. But right now, it's not even about the request. What you've told me is only half the story. Did you ask your mom and dad already? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. We forget that God already knows everything. And so when we pray, it's not about, God, I know you don't know, but I'm, I'm here to tell you what's going on. I don't know if you're aware of God, but, you know, we, we are constantly in this trap. If we just, we think, if we, God's got all this power and he doesn't have ideas and we have ideas, but we don't have the power. And so we constantly come to God. If we could merge our ideas with your power, God, we'd get a lot done. And God's going, I know as much as you. In fact, I know more. Your ideas are not near as informative to me. I know more than you. Yeah, so genuine prayer has pure motives. God, you know everything. So I need to pray with God already being fully informed. So where do we go with this? Well, effective prayer stays focused on God. So after all that, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Like I say, I could turn this into a six-week series, and you're going to get it in about, oh my goodness. You're going to get this in about 30 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you just looked at your clock and went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. No, I'm going to get it done. Here we go. This then is how you should. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus used a very interesting word. He gives us the Greek, but most of you are familiar in the translation of this into the Arabic which is Abba. This is what Jesus said on the cross. And I know for, the, for all the effects we have him saying, oh, Father, oh, forgive them, oh, Father. It was Dad. This is, this is why the religious leaders were so furious. Because they had this respectful 
dialogue. Oh God, you great creator, almighty of the heavenly armies. Oh, and here comes Jesus going, oh, you're talking about my dad. And they're like, no. See, they really felt that was disrespect. He goes, no, he's my dad. I mean, I call him Abba. I, I, that's, that, he's, he's my dad. And what's ironic here is Jesus says, when you're in your room by yourself with him, call him dad. How many know you talk different when it's dad? You talk different. You're not grandiose. You don't have fancy language. When it's dad, you're transparent. Now I know there's people who say, well, you don't understand. My dad walked out, or I never knew my dad. I don't understand how this works. I don't, that, that's a concept that doesn't work for me. Oh, yeah, it does, because now he's your dad. Why don't you have that relationship of conversational transparency that you wish you could have had? I wish I, wish I knew how to have that dialogue. You can still have that dialogue. He still wants to talk with you. And if you don't have anybody to call dad, he says, you can call me that. Talk to me. He already knows everything. See, isn't that what we want in a dad? A dad who knows me so that I can just cut to the chase and have a conversation. I don't have to feel in the back because my dad knows me. And God says, I'm that dad. I know everything. You don't have to go through all the... When you go in that room and it's just you and me, we can have a daughter, dad, a, a son, dad conversation. Talk to me. I already know you. The problem is, is you don't know him. Everybody said amen. And then he says, hallowed be your name. So this is understanding that attributing to God the holiness that already is and always has been. So this is where we go, man, dad, you're awesome. You've always been awesome. You were awesome before I took my breath. You were awesome even before I recognized who you were and what you were capable of. God, you were gracious. You were merciful. You are magnificent. That's hallowing his name, revering it. Then you move on. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to understand, we don't ask God to build our kingdom. We ask him to build his through us. How do I build your church, your kingdom? It is not mine. But you allow me to be a part of what you're doing. And it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not me giving God all these eyes, the ideas. It's me asking God, will you show me what you want? Let me say it this way. I, I mean, I could tell you, I, I, I pray this a lot. God, I don't know what you want. If I go forward on this, I will be guessing. Can you show me enough so that I know what you want? Because then I can do this in obedience. I can't be a disciple guessing. I'm only a disciple if I do this obeying. 
I need you to talk to me. And you don't have to tell me everything. Just show me enough that I know my role, my part, what I need to do. And then I walk into a situation very confident. I'm doing this out of obedience. I know that. But God, it's horrible to walk into a room and I'm guessing. I don't want to guess. I want to know. And then in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. So this is asking God for our daily needs. Like I said, get up in the morning. These are the tasks I have to do. These are the people I need to meet. These are the things that I have to get done. Help me. And throughout the day, as those windows pop in, that I'm able to do that. God, help me with the daily bread that I'm managing in my life today. And I'm managing for other people. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Only forgive me to the degree that I have forgiven others. How many know we don't preach that hardly ever? Because some of us go, well, then that means I still got a lot of baggage. Yeah. Because, see, they had a Roman occupying army. And Jesus says, you can't be forgiven until you forgive them. Hey, God, you know the atrocities they've done? Yep. But to the degree that you forgive them is the degree that I'll forgive you because do you know the atrocities that you've committed against me? Don't ask to be the recipient of forgiveness that you're not willing to give to other people. Notice how quiet it got, real. We all thought, all I have to do is ask. That's true. But you also have to offer it to other people. What sets us apart is our mercy, our grace, and our love. Then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So keep me from overwhelmed, from the overwhelming seduction of sin. Help me not to put myself in places I should never be. And then he goes on to say deliver. That's the form of a command. This is one of the reasons we pray in Jesus' name. And we can command it. Why? Because deliver us from the evil one. In the name of Jesus, be delivered. So he's given us authority. And then, this is such a sticking point of what he said in, this, in the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Lord's Prayer. He visits it. He, Jesus obviously must have read the crowd and saw, oh, that forgiveness part really, I could see the creepy look on everybody's face. And so Jesus taglines it with two other verses. Everybody read it with me. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'm going to be honest with you. There's times I've prayed... Somebody's burned me, somebody's hurt me, somebody's done something bad. And I have to go into my closet because I can't let anybody hear what I'm saying to God. God, I want them to burn for what they just did. God, I want you to stick it to them. God, I want you to hammer him. 
but I know I can't ask that. Not with putting myself at peril. So now I need you to help me with this rage, this revenge, this hurt, this disappointment. You got to help me because I don't want to deny myself the forgiveness because I'm not willing to offer it to them. I imperil myself if I don't work myself through this. I'm not going to tell you, hey, I got delivered on the moment. No, it is a process sometimes because you just, but here's the thing, you persist and you don't stop. You know that there is a new threshold that you have to push through and you just say, I, I feel this way, but I will not yield to it. Let me tell you something. Some people think Christianity, you get saved and the fight's over. No, he doesn't deliver you from the fight. He equips you for the fight. Don't get confused. Well, I still have a fight. Then why did I get saved? This time you got a lot more weapons for it. You got a lot more tools. And now you've got a way to get through it. But before, you're right, you had a fight. But now you've got the breastplate of righteousness. Now you've got the helmet of salvation. Now you've got the shield of faith. Now you've got the sword of the spirit. Now you've got the belt of truth. Let me tell you something. He's, he didn't take you out of the fight. He just equipped you for it. And it's that way. Listen, we, we all have days that get the best of us. Don't let the enemy take your forgiveness from you. And by the way, forgiveness doesn't free the other person, it frees you. It frees you. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service. Can you just take a moment, lift your hands, and praise Him for the forgiveness that He makes available. Listen, to us and through us. Come on, let's take about 15, 20 seconds. Let's thank Him for that right now.